There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Welcome to the following on podcast from Talk Sport. No county cricketer for you this week. The county championship being played from Tuesday until Friday today um, meant that it wasn't possible to get a show out. But uh, we will be dropping a show into your podcast feed on Monday ahead of the last round of games. So in its place today, we are bringing you a replay of a lunchtime feature from Talk Sport's tour of New Zealand at the start of the year. As is our way with TalkSport's cricket coverage, whenever we're on location in a foreign land, we like to raise the profile of some of the local players who might not be household names here in the UK or indeed in our own countries, but deserve to be. So for the next 20 minutes, sit back, enjoy, as Neil Manthorpe and Jarrah Kimber discuss five New Zealand cricketers you didn't know but probably should. And if you like this kind of thing, then subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends. Five cricketers, as I said earlier, lesser known, misunderstood perhaps, or underappreciated, never to be forgotten, or just our favourites. I always suffer a little bit of imposter syndrome here because Jared Kimber is the proper cricket historian. Um, I'm merely uh, somebody who's observed the game. You've four cricket history books, haven't you? <laughs> no, biographies, Jared. <laughs> biographies. Now, last time we did this uh, was um, with India, and um, it, we appeared to... to draw favourable response so we've been asked to do it again uh, I've I've picked two you've picked three and off you go you you open the batting and give us your favourite so initially we were asked uh, to pick five cricketers um, who our listeners may never have heard of but ought to have done I've widened that scope here because I think that uh, listeners will probably have heard of my two uh, so they're more favourites or just never to be forgotten who have you gone for I sent you a whatsapp of the person um, I want to talk about first. Would you be able to pronounce the WhatsApp? You've got to find your phone now, don't you? You've forgotten. You've, he's got to put his glasses no, on, everyone. No, 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 no. I, you know what, Jared? I, I seriously wanted to give it a go. I, I did. And I pride myself on being able to pronounce long and difficult names. 
but um, I absolutely cannot. It, I, I, I did. I did count. I think there are seventeen syllables in it. Yeah. Il Bula. Il Bula is what he's known as. It's Ilikana Lasarusa I think, but I might have made some of that up and I might have said the same thing three times in a row there. His name means, Manners, which I know you will like, his name means returned alive from the Nankula Hospital at Lakeba Island in the Lao Group. That's what that name means. Luckily for us, it has been shortened down to Ayal Bula. Now, this is a bit of a cheat because you know me. I, I, like, I like to muck around a little bit. Uh, this person never played for New Zealand, and not only uh, was Ayal Bula not a New Zealand cricketer, uh, he's actually a Fijian cricketer, uh, and a great Fijian cricketer. He, uh, in the uh, summer of 1947-48, he toured New Zealand with Fiji, and he made the fifth most runs, despite the fact that he'd never played that level of cricket uh, before. He would end up with a first-class record of an average of 46. People who saw him bat think that was probably lower than what he deserved. He was um, incredible. He would bat in something that was called a sulu, which is like a, a traditional Fijian skirt. Uh, so he wasn't always wearing traditional whites. There's even stories of him batting barefoot against proper attacks. Uh, he made runs twice when he toured New Zealand. So all of his first-class cricket was played in New Zealand. But he did actually make runs against the West Indies as well. I don't know if you know this, that the West Indians actually beat, uh, were actually beaten by Fiji. And he second top scored. <laughs> you're, you're looking at me like I'm making this up. Uh, yeah, F- Fiji actually beat the West Indies in, I think it was 1955, 56, somewhere around that period. And uh, just before the West Indians got really good, to be fair. But, but even so, you would expect them to beat Fiji. Uh, but that's how good Fijian cricket was at that point. And I.L. Bueller was the absolute best player. So he comes over to New Zealand in 1947-48. There wasn't really much thought about him uh, before then. He was so good on that tour that New Zealand actually, New Zealand's then captain went to the, uh, the law books to see if they could pick him. Because this is before we had associate cricket or anything like that. And in those days, if you didn't have a test team, the team that was the closest to the test team, the te- team that was closest to the non-test team could pick a player. So, for instance, uh, if India had ever wanted a Sri Lankan player, they could have actually picked a Sri Lankan player as the rules were originally written up in that, was it 1910, 1911, in that period when the ICC actually started to codify uh, the, the laws of cricket. And so the Fijian and the New Zealand captain were actually looking if they should take Ayal Bula to England because in 1949, there's a huge tour for New Zealand cricket. They were going to go over and play in, um, in England. And at that stage, they were only allowed three-day tests. So they were going to stack their batting lineup with as many batters as possible to prove that they deserved more than three-day tests. And to be fair to them, they did do it. But Ayal Bula didn't go, partly because he didn't want to. Also because some of the New Zealand players were a little bit upset that they were going to lose their position to a Fijian player who'd only played a handful of first-class games. But he was an extraordinary batter, hit the ball very, very hard, uh, you know, didn't get to play enough top-level cricket. But um, imagine going over from Fiji, having never played any level of cricket and dominating the best New Zealand uh, bowlers of of his day. And also then, also making runs against the West Indians when they toured. The New Zealand captain who wanted him to go in 1949 was Walter Hadley. So it was Richard Hadley's father who was actually looking up to see whether he could take I.L. Bueller with him, which tells you what a quality player he was. And I also mention that because Walter Hadley is your number two, is he not? 
Well, you're number one. <laughs> yeah. Our number yes. two. Yes, he is. What an extraordinary story. Didn't Ayal Bueller keep wicket as well, full-time or part-time? Everything. He did. I, yeah. I think he did everything. I, I, the, some of the stories about the Fijian cricketers is just absolutely incredible. And I think the, the first living, I think this is right, the first living um, player to ever be on a stamp, for, uh, uh, the first living cricketer, sorry, to ever be on a stamp was actually a Fijian player. They were on such a high level. It is such a shame that Fijian cricket dropped off because certainly in that period between 1940s and 1960s, they had a proper side um, and they've never quite got back to that standard again. Now, obviously, Papua New Guinea is sort of uh, the island team that dominates these days, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a real shame. But he's a phenomenal cricketer and, um, yeah, and did it all in a traditional, um, you know, skirt as well, which I, I, I'm not sure if that's harder or not, but it sounds harder. It certainly does, and I think Scotland's team should be made to play in kilts. <laughs> because that's all. Okay, so you're right. Walter Hadley is... Um, I've chosen him for two reasons, really. I just think some of our younger listeners might not know. Because of the um, massively high profile of Sir Richard Hadley, um, Richard was um, one of four sons, um, three of whom played for New Zealand. There was Dale Hadley, who played 26 tests and 11 ODIs, so far as bowler. Barry Hadley as well, also played two ODIs. Walter Hadley... Uh, was born in 1915, um, the, the patriarch of uh, the Hadley cricketing family. Um, he also played for New Zealand, made his test debut in 1937. He was captain of the team that is still to this day described as the great New Zealand team of 1949 that uh, toured England. Um, they actually drew the test series nil-nil. But they played 35 games, lost only once um, to, to Oxford University, amazingly enough. But um, what Walter was an exceptional player, played 11 test matches either side of the war, 100. But then after that, this is uh, what most New Zealanders will remember him as uh, the ultimate administrator. He was a selector, manager, board member, chairman, president. And the other reason that I wanted to mention him is, uh, you know, um, we often talk about New Zealand's history of punching above their weight and innovative, out-of-the-box, creative thinking. And I always used to go back to Jeremy Coney in the 1980s. You know, he set funky fields and he did things a bit differently. But actually, I didn't realise until a couple of years ago that um, it, Walter Hadley may actually be the father of New Zealand innovative uh, thinking, creative thinking. Um, there's a obituary, he died in, in 2006, and there's an obituary in Wisdom that says um, he played the game very much in the right spirit and as a captain, he had unusual vision and imagination. So um, I, that's, I love that about New Zealand cricket and New Zealand captains. Stephen Fleming was the same. I mean, the tradition has, has carried on. So, yeah, I just thought younger listeners might not know that uh, the Hadley dynasty uh, and the patriarch Walter Hadley. There you go. He's my number one. Well, you talk about, like, thinking outside the box. I think uh, wondering whether you could find a, leg, uh, you know, a, reg- a regulation that allows you to pick a Fijian uh, player probably tells you that he wasn't the most uh, straightforward person. That 1949, because we've mentioned it in both, that, uh, they're called the 1940, or they're called the 49ers. Uh, that that tour uh, in New Zealand, and it's very important. As you said, they didn't win a test; they drew all three tests. But they were so good that by I think it was by the third test, England had decided never to play New Zealand in a three-day test ever again. And they actually asked them to play a five-day test, I think, at the end of that tour. But New Zealand had such a cram schedule that they could. So they had to play some random team, you know, I don't know, uh, as you said, Oxford or another university or something, rather than playing a full-length test. So they were so successful on that tour under Walter Hadley that they actually changed their history in front of them. 
Next player I want to talk about is Stewie Dempster. I don't know how much you know about Stewie Dempster, Manners. Is this a player who's... No, he's, he's shaking his head, uh, radio audience. Uh, didn't even pick up his microphone. Stewie Dempster averages 65 in test cricket. He played 10 tests for New Zealand. And when they came into uh, test cricket, so sort of late late 1920s, when um, Sir A. Bailey, the, the man who created uh, the ICC with uh, South African gold money, had disappeared, and we suddenly had teams who were non-white being able to play in, in, in test cricket. And New Zealand obviously came in at that stage as well, even though they weren't quite as strong as probably India or the West Indies. Stuart Dempster had already been playing first-class cricket for a long time. He'd been travelling to England and playing it. And so when... It was a huge advantage for New Zealand cricket to have this guy who, when he played test cricket, was so incredible. And I think, um, I think it, I was in the, maybe it was in 10 tests that he, uh, he opened the batting and averaged 65. But he averaged a huge amount in test cricket altogether. He would actually go on to play a lot of first-class cricket uh, in England as well. And he averaged 45 over his career. As you and I know, Manners, this was not a very good New Zealand team when they first came in. They probably shouldn't have had test status. In fact... I would argue that Argentina was a better team, and Argentina should have had test status ahead of New Zealand at that point. So they met, they, partly, when they first played their first test, obviously they were playing at the same time that the West Indies were playing. They didn't even get... They got, like, England's third eleven to play against. But Dempster was absolutely world-class at that time. So the question is why he only played a few tests. And this is... There's a little-known person. Now, I do think you'll know this person. Sir Julian Kahn, Manus. Has that name ever come across? Yes, yes. I thought you might know him. So, Sir Julian Kahn was a furniture magnate, I think out of um, uh, Nottinghamshire, or that area anyway, who had a lot of money and he wanted to get into the English establishment and he thought the best way to do it was via cricket. And so he built a cricket ground at his own house and it was a beautiful place, a bit like the Getty Estate um, in Wormsley, um, now in, in English cricket, built his own cricket ground. But then he was like, well, I need cricketers now. So he went around the world and he hired the best cricketers. It meant that Teams who were new to Test Cricket or struggling in Test Cricket, like South Africa and New Zealand, lost their best players to Julian Kahn because he paid so much more than anyone else. The highest paid cricketers in the world played for Julian Kahn. So Aubrey Faulkner was South Africa's great player, and he left to go and play with Julian Kahn. And then Stewie Dempster did the same thing. And it meant that New Zealand had this great cricketer and they had no access to him. And even, I think he played for, I think it was Knotts he played for. And he didn't even play for Knotts that often because he played for Julian Kahn. But for those who don't know, Julian Kahn, absolutely nuts figure. He played, he batted in these games himself. Despite the fact that they're world-class players and he shouldn't have been even on the field. He batted in these games, but he was terrified of the ball. So he had blow-up pads made where they would literally they would literally be like i don't even know how to explain blow up pads uh it, it, it was like having um a, a boogie board on the end of his leg or a blow a blow up um a beach toy on, on, uh, strapped to his leg and he shouldn't have been playing in those games but he hired the best players ever and it meant that new zealand should have started world cricket with one player who was absolutely top class and instead sadly for them they only got him for a ha- you know handful of games before he disappeared uh, back to first class cricket but Stu Dempster, there's no doubt that the records show um, he was an absolutely brilliant cricketer. And sadly for New Zealand, they never got the most out of him. Um, and it wasn't the only time that New Zealand lost a top-level cricketer to, to England. Um, they lost a couple of really very good players during the war as well. Um, and then obviously Glenn Turner would go on to go play county cricket rather than playing for um, New Zealand. So when we look back, we, we, you know, we look at, oh, these, you know, Trent Bolt's not playing for them because of the IPL. Oh, this is evil. It's like... Yeah, this has been going on since they started Test Cricket. This is not a new thing. This is not just India. England and random uh, millionaires in Nottinghamshire were, were doing this to them. 
Plenty more to come from Neil Manthorpe and Jared Kimber as they discuss five New Zealand cricketers you've never heard of but ought to. This is the best of the following on podcast here on TalkSport 2. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the best of the following on podcast here on TalkSport 2 as Neil Manthorpe and Jared Kimber discuss five New Zealand cricketers you've never heard of but ought to. For the full show, you can download the podcast from the following on feed now available on all good podcast providers. Now, OK, my second um, cricketer is has been one of my favourites for a very, very long time and I would put him in the underappreciated um, and never-to-be-forgotten category. And he's very much alive and well. In fact, he's commentating for New Zealand Radio uh, in the adjoining commentary box. Christopher Zinzan Harris is a, is a cult hero, became a cult hero. He may well have been the last international cricketer to have a comb-over to hide his bald spot, but that's not the reason that um, he became a cult hero. He played 250 one-day internationals and... So many things about his performance stand out. I mean, he was part of the furniture. He was just in the team for a decade and taken for granted and underappreciated. Uh, a couple of um, interesting stats that I, I find interesting. Of his 4,379 runs, he scored in 250 ODIs, which is the second most played for New Zealand behind Daniel Vittori. 
he has a world record of 2,130 of those runs, so just under half those runs scored at number seven. No one's ever scored more runs at number seven in one-day internationals. Um, and he also has 29 court and bowls, which is second on the all-time list. He was a brilliant fielder, but above all of that, the mystery of his economy and what he actually bowled. Uh, because, you know, I, I always used to say for years and years he bowled leg rollers. Um, they were variously described as cutters and gentle, wobbly, medium paces. But he took the art, which was perfected for many years by New Zealanders, such as um, Nathan Astle. And um, yeah, a few, there were several, weren't there? There was a time, Gavin Larson. But he, he was different. And I'm not sure that anybody ever worked him out. His economy rate at the end of 250 ODIs, often bowling you know, in difficult periods at the beginning and the end of the innings, not just the easy middle overs, was under four and a half and over. In fact, 4.2 and over. So I just, Chris Zinzan Harris, we all took him for granted, but he always made runs. And rather like Michael Bevan, he proved to be a brilliant finisher. He had 63 not outs, over half of which were victories for New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, he was, as you said, he bowled sort of halfway between a leg spinner and a leg cutter. It, it, it was really interesting because it drifted. It was almost like Anil Kumble, wasn't it? But, uh, but also his batting. I mean, you talked about his record there, but he saw what Michael Bevan did, and he wasn't as talented as Michael Bevan, and he managed to actually make a brilliant career out of that as well. And, you know, if, you, <laughs> if you're young enough to be listening to this, go, I don't know who Chris Harris is, go and Google his bowling, and you will be like... This guy bowled for decades? Um, it is a bizarre bowling action. But, yeah, he was certainly one of my favorite cricketers. Uh, I'm just going to finish with Bob Blair, who you probably are um, fairly well aware of, uh, man, especially as a historian of, of South African cricket. But for those who don't know, Bob Blair was uh, sort of a, 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 a medium-fast bowler for New Zealand, v- very normal sort of New Zealand scene bowler, very good with the, the new ball. Only took 43 wickets in his 19 tests. But I should point out, uh, Manners, that he took 537 first-class wickets, an average of 18. Um, so very much a, a dominating force in first-class cricket and, and uh, had an incredible career. Sadly, he's not really known for his brilliant bowling, um, partly because he didn't take as many wickets in test cricket as he probably should have. In uh, 1953, he was over in South Africa playing a test match in Johannesburg, and it was over Christmas. They played the first day on Christmas Eve. They then had a rest day on Christmas Day, and then on Boxing Day they were going to go about it. There's some great weird matches that are played over Christmas days, um, and this is this is maybe the most famous one. On the on Christmas Day itself, he was given the news that sadly his partner uh, Narissa Love. Uh, had died in what is, I still think to this day, one, uh, the worst train accident that ever happened in New Zealand. The Tangiwai uh, disaster, it is called. There's a, a mini-series on, on it, or a, um, a lots of documentaries that you can find online if you want to hear more about it. But obviously, hearing that his fiance had passed away, he stayed back at the hotel on uh, Boxing Day and wasn't going to, uh, to the game. So while New Zealand were mourning this train disaster, he was a guy playing a test match who had lost a loved one um, and he was, uh, and so he didn't go to the ground. And New Zealand, I think they, they were bowling. They bowled South Africa out quite quickly that, uh, that morning, and then they went out to bat. And it was one of those wickets where the ball was kind of bouncing straight up. The, uh, South Africa had a bowler called Neil Adcock, who was probably close to, probably in the top three or four fastest bowlers in the world. Uh, and he absolutely destroyed New Zealand. I think at one stage, New Zealand had two batters in the hospital, and I think all of their top four were struck and either bled or lost consciousness at one point. 
And the great Bert Sutcliffe, uh, th this innings changed his life. He, at that stage, it was looking like Bert Sutcliffe was going to be the best batter in the world. And after this innings, he never quite became that player again. People would bounce him and he struggled with the short ball. Uh, he lost consciousness twice, went out to bat. The rest of the New Zealand middle order couldn't handle um, Adcock at all. Um, and uh, I think they were about 15 or so runs behind the follow-on when they lost the ninth wicket. And Sutcliffe was leaving the field. At this stage, I think they had a towel or a blanket around his head because actual bandages weren't soaking up the blood that was coming from him after he came back from the hospital. Uh, also should be uh, worth pointing out that Sutcliffe had had a couple of drinks as well. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, manners to Med medicinal, medicinal, yeah, to help him go out and face the fastest bowler in the world who's bowling bounces off a length. So Sutcliffe starts to walk off the field, and Bob Blair turns up, and no one knew he was at the ground. Only, only the uh, I think he got a taxi himself, or, or someone at the hotel had run him down to the ground. Uh, he got a standing ovation. Went out there. They were miles behind. As I said, they were behind the follow-on. And Sutcliffe sort of put his arm around him and, and suggested that they might as well have a bit of a slog. There was no point, they were, no point having a proper bat. Hugh Tayfield was the, the bowler. Hugh Tayfield's economy in his career was 1.94, which is still one of the lowest economies in the history of Test cricket. And uh, in the basketball era, I don't think we're ever going back to anyone beating that kind of thing. And Bob Blair swung away, hit him for six. They actually set the then-world record for the most runs in an over against uh, Hugh Tayfield. They went past the follow-on. The South Africans at the ground um, cheered them uh, just because they couldn't believe that these two people, uh, you know, one who was playing through physical play pain and the other one playing through emotional pain, uh, managed to go out. They got past the follow-on. Sadly, South Africa still won that game very easy. Um, but the story of Bob Blair is very much part of New Zealand um, culture of, of going out there when you are undermanned. And, and for those who don't know a lot about New Zealand cricket history, you know, we've given you a bit of an overview of how much they struggled at times. They won their first test series in 1969, and yet they started and they were given um, test status in 1928 or 1929, whenever that meeting was actually held. Um, it took them a long time to get successful, and there's a scoreboard at uh, the Basin Reserve, and it's called the Don Neely scoreboard. And Don Neely has my favourite uh, quote in all of cricket um, uh, when he says. There was a lot going on that year in 1969. You know, uh, man walking on the moon, you know, v Vietnam War, Woodstock, and sadly New Zealand winning a test series in Pakistan was overshadowed, uh, which just tells you how long that they had to struggle. And then they finally had a great win. And they won that, that test series in um, Pakistan. It was actually in uh, Bangladesh. It was in Dhaka, I think, uh, when they won the test. And the crowd was so upset that Pakistan was going to go uh, to lose that game that they actually, New Zealand didn't actually technically draw the game. The crowd just went on and stopped the game, and New Zealand ended up winning the series that way. And indeed, New Zealand didn't win their first Test match overseas until the 61-62 tour of South Africa, when Zin Harris, Christopher's father, scored 100 <laughs> in the first innings. OK, that's five cricketers from New Zealand, lesser-known, misunderstood, underappreciated, never to be forgotten, and amongst our favourites. Big thanks to Neil and Jared. Don't forget on Monday, the county cricketer will return ahead of the last round of championship fixtures You've been listening to the following on podcast. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, 
the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.